0: Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, and if you're using the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 983. This morning, uh, we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 14, uh, but especially wanting to zero in on verse 10, but we'll read the passage uh, together uh, to see the context. Colossians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, this morning, uh, Lord willing, we want to begin a new uh, study. We want to look at uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Colossians. And when we think of Paul, uh, Paul was... A minister of Christ. He was a follower of the Lord Jesus. He was a believer in Jesus. But he was someone who went around the Roman world in the first century. And Paul went around declaring that Jesus is Lord. Uh, It was a provocative statement and teaching that Paul was spreading uh, because he claimed that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar, that there is one God, not many gods, that there is one Savior, not many saviors. And Paul's teaching ultimately got him into trouble on many occasions. Uh, Paul was imprisoned uh, for his faith, for what he was teaching. And this letter uh, to the Colossians was written while Paul was in prison, uh, which gives us, uh, in God's providence, uh, a wonderful opportunity not only to understand what the church in the first century was dealing with but also in God's providence to see what it was that was weighing most heavily on the believers in Christ. What is it that Paul would write about from prison to the church as they were struggling uh, to exist in a, in a Roman world in the first century? And as you turn to the letter of Colossians, One of the great themes, as we will begin to see, is the the centrality, or as Paul says, the preeminence of Christ. That in all things, that Christ would be central. That in all things, Jesus would be supreme in our thoughts and in our lives. And that really is what Paul is getting at in this letter. And this morning, we want to look at how Paul begins by sharing his prayer uh, for the church in Colossae. And we want to see that what Paul is saying is is those who have come to hear and to know the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Those who have come to to have heard the gospel are now to live in a fitting way. They're now to live in a way that is worthy of Jesus. And we want to think about these opening verses in two thoughts. We want to think about Paul's prayer of thanksgiving for the church. And then we want to think about Paul's prayer of petition for the church, that they would live in a worthy manner. The letter of uh, Paul to the Colossians begins as most uh, letters began in the first century. There is an identification of the author. Paul identifies himself. He identifies himself as an apostle, which means messenger. He is one who has been sent with a message. And in the scriptures, an apostle is one who is sent uh, directly by the Lord Jesus. And Paul understood himself as under under the responsibility, under the commission of Jesus to declare the, the work of God's salvation. And so he announces himself by that title. I am a messenger. I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. But you notice that he also identifies his audience but he doesn't identify them as colossians he identifies them as saints and faithful brothers and sisters who are in colosse who they are they're described with reference to the god who has saved them they are described first and foremost as saints Saints, not meaning that they have performed two miracles and have been elevated to a rank in the church of of being glorified. But rather they are saints in the sense that they are those who have been consecrated by God. They are those with whom the Lord's favor has been shown towards. They are those whom, as the prophets would say in the Old Testament, they are those who belong in the kingdom of God. And who are part of God's new creation. And so as Paul addresses this church, he addresses them by who they are with reference to the living God. They are those who have been set apart by God's grace for blessing. They are also described as faithful brothers. They are faithful because they have come to believe. They have come to have faith in the Lord Jesus. But he also identifies them as being faithful in the sense that there's an integrity to their faith. A reliability to their faith. That who they are is the result of God's grace in their life. And so he speaks to them, addressing them uh, by this language. And then he gives them a greeting. Instead of simply uh, the word greeting, which would have been typical. uh, Paul has infused it with a theology of grace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. That really, this really serves as the brackets for how the Christian is to think. The first words that Paul addresses to this church is the words of grace. They're also the final words that Paul addresses to the church. And so like bookends, everything else is held together by an understanding of God's undeserved favor. And so Paul is shaping the way in which he wants his recipients to think that they are to live in light of God and his uh, grace shown to them. But then he begins with his prayer of thanksgiving. As is common in many of Paul's letters, he begins by giving thanks And he gives thanks uh, to God, uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as he contemplates them, as he remembers them in prayer. Right there, we have a wonderful argument for the importance of the church. We are being given here a very practical demonstration of why the church is important. Because Paul here, as he prays, he prays remembering the people of God. He's remembering the community of saints. And as he remembers the community of saints, it provokes him to think about the work of God in their life. As he thinks about the church, he's filled with thanksgiving. Because God has transformed these people's lives. And so one of the reasons why the church is so important is because it it widens our scope to be able to see God's work of grace so that we can appreciate God's grace where it is revealed. That's what Paul's doing here, even as he writes from prison. That Paul is able to begin with a note of thanksgiving because he's understanding God's work in the lives of these people. And so his prayer is shaped by thanksgiving. He gives thanks to God the Father for what he sees and hears and has heard about this church. What is he actually giving thanks for, though? You'll notice that he gives thanks for three things in this church. The first thing that he gives thanks for is for their faith. We give thanks to God for you as we remember you in prayer how you have come to have faith in Christ Jesus. That as Paul talks about the church there, he talks about their faith. And by faith, he doesn't simply mean trust in a vague sense or belief in a vague sense. You just have to believe or you have to believe in yourself as we oftentimes hear in in media or in in the Disney stories. Here, Paul tethers faith With what it's anchored in. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, their faith is anchored in certain things that they have come to believe as true respecting Jesus that He is the Christ, He is the one who was anointed by God to save sinners, that His death and His resurrection are a fulfillment of God's promises. And that in Jesus the blessings of God's salvation are realized. And you notice here that as Paul is giving thanks for the church, for their faith, his thanks is directed towards God. Because he realizes that this this trust in Jesus is ultimately the initiative of God intervening in their life. They have been transformed. They have been changed. They have not only been acquainted with this message of Jesus, but they have come to a place now where they are depending on it. They're living in light of it. They are trusting in it and clinging to it in their own lives. That's a work of God's grace. And so Paul can give thanks for it. He also gives thanks to God, though, not only for their faith, but for their love. For their love for all the saints. And you just step back and think about how radical that is. The church in Colossae, as with many churches, is going to be composed with a mixture of Jew and Gentile. It's going to be composed of people from different backgrounds. People that would have little that would otherwise pull them together. But now they are drawn towards one another. Because they have a common bond of love. They have come to a common faith in Jesus as their Savior. And not only that, the Spirit has brought out a love for one another. And so now they associate with others. Who at one time they might have thought of as strangers. Or people they did not associate with. Now they consider them family. They are faithful brothers and sisters. And so when they look at one another, when they talk about one another. They speak and think, that's my brother, that's my sister. There's a love for the saints now that has been cultivated in their lives. And Paul gives thanks because what he is hearing about this church is not the work of man. This is a work of God that causes a community to be formed out of a common conviction about Jesus. He gives thanks for their faith. He gives thanks for their love. But he's, notice as well, he says something else here. Because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Where does this love for the saints, where does it derive from? Paul uses an interesting way of speaking. He says, because of the hope. That, that hope is actually something that is fueling this love. This hope is actually something that is building love in the saints. It's something that is undergirding the life of the community of saints. And by hope here, he's not just simply talking about an attitude, an inner attitude. He's talking about the object of their hope. That they have a certain way of looking at the world around them because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Their hope, the object of what they're hoping in, Paul says, is laid up for them in heaven. Jesus who died has raised and has ascended into heaven. And one day he will return. The Jesus who conquered death, who has risen victorious over sin, now stands uh, in, in glory as the basis of the believer's own hope. Of victory over death and of conquering sin. And so the Christian life has this marvelous dynamic of hope built into it that feeds everything. And so Paul is able to celebrate as he thinks about Colossae. There are these people there who have heard about what happened in Jerusalem, they've heard about the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection. And they've come to believe it. It has produced a love in them for the communion of the saints. And they're living now not by their immediate circumstances. But they're gripped by a hope about God's purposes in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's whole mindset here is one of giving thanks to God. Because he is forming and transforming lives. That that the hope of the gospel has taken root in these people's lives. And so as Paul contemplates the believers in Colossae, he's filled with thanksgiving because of this work of transformation. But it's interesting as you think about what Paul is saying here about Colossae, as he's heard about these believers. Probably Paul has only a, a second-hand acquaintance with them. Epiphras is the one who ministered to them and brought the gospel to them probably. But as Paul hears about them, and these marks are what he's focusing in on, you notice that what Paul is really doing is he is simply describing the life of any Christian. That these marks of faith and of love and of hope are what define a Christian. And so when we begin to ask ourselves and to think, am I a Christian? We only have to ask these questions. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior? What is it that you believe concerning Jesus? When you think about the people of God, are you recoiled and embarrassed by them and wanting to disassociate from Christ's church? Or do you look at the Church of Christ with all its warts and still say, that's the workmanship of God, and I'm part of that redeemed community? When you look at the world that you live in, do you live simply with a focus on the present? Or are you able to apply what you know about the future, the things not yet seen, and shape the way that you live now? Because that's what hope is. Living in light of what we don't yet see. That's what the life of faith is all about. And that's the workmanship of God. Shaping and transforming lives. So he gives thanks for the church. Her characteristics. But he also gives thanks for the church's growth. In verses 5 and following. You notice that he talks about how the word of truth has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. Uh, as it also does among you. The word of truth. God's word has come to them. But Paul uses a curious phrase there. He says the word, the, the message has come to you. And it's bearing fruit. It's increasing. How can it increase? How can truth uh, bear fruit? It's It's shaping. It's it's growing. But Paul is using this language here on on purpose. When you look back at creation, God created the man and the woman. And you remember that he gave them that mandate. They were to be fruitful and to multiply and to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the the heavens and over the beasts of the earth. They were to govern God's creation. But now as Paul is addressing the church... He says the gospel has gone out. The gospel is bearing fruit. The gospel is spreading over all of creation. Not just to say that the whole world. Not just to say the whole Roman world is coming to know. About what God has done in Jesus. But Paul's point is is that. It's bringing about a new creation. That what God has done. Is the dawning of something as wonderful and as comparable to when God created in the first place? God is bringing about a new work now through the message of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul is giving thanks because as he sits in the prison cell, it's as though he has a window that he can see the garden of God, he can see there is fruit. He can see God's workmanship. And for that, he's able to give praise. And so his prayer begins with thanksgiving. But his prayer for the church in Colossae also has a petition for it. And we see that in verses 9 through 14. He says, And so from the day that we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What is Paul's prayer? He wants them to live in a way that is worthy of the Lord Jesus. His prayer is is that they would conduct themselves in a certain way. You think of public servants. You think of a police officer. A police officer, uh, when they put on that uniform, but even when they are not in uniform... A police officer is commissioned for a purpose. They are to protect their citizens, and they are to promote righteousness. They are to uphold the law. Even recently, the city of Charlottetown had a community meeting, and they they had that meeting, and they were trying to explain their model of policing to the community. That they are trying to work in partnership with the citizens. They are trying to promote safety for people here in Charlottetown. They are trying to uphold the law of the land. They have a certain mandate that is given to them. But when a police officer's task is to promote peace and to promote righteousness, you expect that officer in uniform to conduct themselves in a certain way. They must live in a way that is fitting to that calling. They should be righteous. They should be protectors of their citizens. Paul is using a similar language here. When he says that we are to walk in a manner that is worthy. He's saying that Christians are to live their lives in a way that is fitting. A way that is appropriate to the Lord who redeemed them. For the Lord Jesus who died for them. There is a fitting way for them to live. That what has happened in the past. Shapes the way that they live in response. And uh, Paul says that they are to live now. Uh, In a way that uh, is worthy. And notice he explains what he means by that. He mentions four things in verses 10 through 12. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit. There's Paul using that language again. Earlier he used it with respect to the spreading of the gospel. The extension of the gospel around the world. But now he's saying the fitting way to live in response to God's grace is when the word of truth bears fruit in your life. When what you know about God and of his grace in Jesus Christ, that God loved this world and sent a savior that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. When we come to know those things, it is to bring forth a certain response. It's to shape the way we live. It is to increasingly, our lives are to be captivated and to be brought under the authority of God's word. It is uh, uh, to have more and more bearing on the way that we live our lives. And so it's meant to, to transform the way we live and to continue to do so over the course of our lives. The Christian life then is not one of being stagnant. But it is one of ever seeking to grow. A bearing fruit of continuously living trusting in what we know about the, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. But it's also then not only described as bearing fruit but increasing in the knowledge of God. He said that we need to be filled with a knowledge of his will, but also that we would uh, know God. You see, what Paul is saying here is, is that the root, our root problem is a failure to know God. Our root problem is, is that we operate under a distorted or a limited understanding of who God is. A person can affirm that there is a God. And then live under certain notions about God. But they will only take them so far or it will take them off course. One person can say there's a God who created all things. But then they will go on to assume that the God who created all things would never intervene in this world. And so the way that they live is a failure to really know God as he's revealed himself. What Paul is saying is, is that our great quest in life is to know God. That's what Jesus said. That this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That we are created to live contemplating and enjoying God, glorifying him forever. That when you look up at the starry heavens at night, when you look at the stars, you're not simply to look at the stars and say, look at the stars. But you're to look at the stars and to say, who is the God who made them? And it should cause us to want to know this God. But more than that, as we come to hear what God has done in Christ, in history, that God would save sinners, that he would bless those who are deserving of his wrath, It should provoke that desire. Who is this God? I want to know him. And the more you come to know this God. The more it bears fruit in your life. The more it bears fruit in your life. The more you come to be strengthened. By that power. The more that you become strengthened by that power. The more you're able to give thanks to God. Because you're more and more. Captivated by what you know of God. And so this is the great aim uh, uh, to life, is to know God. But for the Christian, for one who has come to know what God has done in Jesus, that quest ought to grow to know God. That's the fitting response to the message of good news. How should a police officer conduct themselves with dignity, with honor, with courage, protecting others, upholding what is right? How should a Christian conduct themselves? How should they behave? Paul says that's easy. A Christian should conduct themselves with a a craving, a desire to seek to know the living God. They should be people who are more and more wanting to live under the authority of God's word. They should be people who are taking God's word and then applying it to their situation. And deriving the strength to be able to know what is true even in the midst of trials. Even when troubles come their way. They know what is true and they hold on to that. They have courage Because they're living under the grace of God. And so Paul is able to say that this is the way that we respond in a fitting way. But he comes back in verse 12 again to this idea of giving thanks. Uh, He's already highlighted that thanksgiving is important as he himself showed by example. But here in verse 12 he says giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. What's a fitting way to live the Christian life? Thanksgiving it's it's the fitting way because that's how Jesus lived Jesus would pray giving thanks to the father for his goodness I thank you father that you have heard me Jesus would give thanks to the father for his wisdom and his grace I thank you heavenly father that you have concealed these things from the wise and the understanding but you have revealed them unto little children Such was your gracious purpose. Jesus delighted in who God was. But it's appropriate and fitting for the Christian because of what has been done for them. That that the Son of God came into this world to redeem them. To redeem them to deliver them from their debt to sin, from the condemnation of the judgment for their sin. And this was done through the payment of Christ's blood. That Christ has transferred them from the domain of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son. Notice as Paul is talking there, this transformation is definitive. He doesn't describe the Christian life as Hovering between these two kingdoms. Sometimes in the light. Sometimes in the dark. He says by God's grace. A believer is one who has been brought out of the kingdom of darkness. And has been brought into the kingdom of light. They belong to Christ. And so they have ample reason to give thanks. Because of what security they enjoy in Christ. They have been delivered. They have been redeemed. And they have an inheritance. They share now in the blessings that Christ has secured through his work. The blessings of God and the gift of eternal life. So we read these words here. And Paul is addressing the church. He's telling Christians, how should you live? His his answer is they would live in a fitting way. And what's fitting is a life of thanksgiving. A life of consecration. Now we could sit here and listen to that and think that sounds like a big task. That sounds like a weight. But there's two things to realize. One, that's the response to knowing God. And first we have to come to a knowledge of who God is. As he's revealed in Jesus Christ. Before we would understand the response as being fitting. But there's something else to notice here. In verse 10, when Paul writes that they would walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, he writes that they would walk in a manner worthy, fully pleasing to God. Or you could translate that, pleasing in every way. When Paul writes those words, he's not placing an impossible standard before them. He's not calling the Christian to an expectation that they will be perfect in this life. Paul knows that until glory, the Christian life is one of struggling against sin. So then why does he say fully pleasing to God? Because Paul knows that a Christian can and does please his or her God as they live to his glory. Paul knows That as we live, God is pleased with his people who are trusting and delighting and thankful for Christ. That just as God looked at his creation in the beginning, he created the world and then he declared it good, even when it wasn't done. So God can look at his workmanship in Christ to those who have come to faith in Christ. And he can say it is good. God is pleased with those who have come to trust in Christ. To those who have come to see Christ as the glory of God. To those who give honor to the work of God's grace. And now strive to live in a fitting way. So Paul writes to the church in Colossians. He's telling them. About how to live one's life. What's a fitting way to live your life? What is an appropriate way to live? Paul is saying the only fitting way to live. Is for the God who has made us. For the God who has sent redemption in his son. And we can do that. By seeking to delight in him. Knowing him better. And thankful for what he has given to us. In the Lord Jesus let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we uh, live in this world, that we would take stock as to what it is that we are living for, that we would be people who um, think about things on the grander scale and think about what is worthy of our life. Lord, we pray that as we uh, uh, contemplate your word, the gospel. We pray that we would see Jesus as one who is worthy, one who will satisfy, one who is uh, desirable. And we pray, Lord, that we would never tire of contemplating your greatness. So go before us, we pray, and pardon us for Jesus' sake. Amen.